We have arrived at Hebrews chapter 11. Incidentally, I think this is our 22nd visit to the book of Hebrews, or the letter to the Hebrews. In the uh, in uh, R.T. Kendall's book, Believing God, is based on his sermons in Hebrews chapter 11, of which there were 30. So, just saying, we might be in Hebrews for a bit longer. Maybe not quite as long as R.T. Kendall was in, in Hebrews 11, but... As I've said to someone before, and they weren't really sure they believed me, we've rattled through Hebrews so far. Only 22 messages on 10 chapters. We could be in 11, Hebrews 11 for a long time. Anyway, that might have given... Uh, see, I didn't tell Anna that I had slides. I don't need them yet, but um, I'm stalling for time. In saying that we might not spend as long as uh, R.T. Kendall in Hebrews 11, I'm going to read two verses. In fact, three. I'm going to start at chapter 10, verse 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. You see, the writer to the Hebrews has kind of built up through his letter, this wonderful picture of who God is, of the fact, this kind of key point, something far better has come. Whereas before, there was the Old Testament law and all of that. Now, Jesus has come. As he said right back at the beginning of the letter, in chapter 1, verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And as he's come to again and again, look, look at the, look at this from the Old Testament. And then look, look at Jesus. Now, look at, look at how this was all pointing towards him. He said very clearly at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And how he went on to expand. Look, look how the law was pointing towards something. And look. It was Jesus coming. It was Jesus coming and Jesus offering the perfect sacrifice. Where the law offered all sorts of sacrifices, then Jesus came. He offered the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And so now Jesus has won the victory. Jesus has done it. So therefore, look at Jesus. Look at how awesome he is. Look at this wonderful victory he has won. As we see, we might think, well, it doesn't look maybe like there is a great victory yet. But yet, actually, if we look in chapter 2, as he pointed out, in chapter 2, verse 8, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to them. It it doesn't look like everything is... We look around and we think, oh, there's still all sorts going on that looks, looks like a mess. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He's pointing again and again to Jesus, the one, the the something, the someone far better who has come. And all the while, he's provoking and exhorting the, the the, the people he's writing to. Believe him. Believe in him. Believe God. Pay careful attention to this. Don't be like those in the rebellion 
who, who perish because of their unbelief. No, believe God. Believe him and believe in the, in the fact that Jesus has come and he has won the victory. Believe him, believe him, believe him. It's pointing all the time to this faithful God, to the security of the hope that is in him. The security of the promise given to Abraham that he refers to in chapter 6. And talks about the fact that when God made that promise, he, he secured it with an oath. And why did he do that? In verse 18 of chapter 6, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. He's pointing again and again, look, look at what God has said. Look at what God has done and look and see how solid it is. How solid our hope is in him. Therefore, let's live by faith. Let's live by faith. Let's persevere. Let's keep going. As he's just been talking about in chapter 10 and verse 22. Almost, there's a therefore that's already gone, but let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess why because he who promised is faithful we've seen it throughout and then again in verse 32 onwards his cry is persevere keep going keep going Don't shrink back. We're not those who shrink back. We're those who have faith. You see, that wonderful combination, the wonder of the picture he's built up of the grace of God, the grace of God and the faith that he gives us. That wonderful combination as Dan started in uh, 1 Timothy and referred to that wonderful verse in Ephesians chapter 2. This wonderful combination of grace and faith. This is the fundamental foundation. This is the rock-solid truth. Ephesians 2 verse 8, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. In a sense, as Dan did that first week, let's keep banging that drum of grace and faith and grace and faith. It's all because of that. That's what our lives are built on. That's the fundamental foundation It's so important. He gives it so much emphasis. We're to believe God. We trust in him. Trust in his grace. In the faith that he has poured out into us. And so he builds up to this point in the letter. Remember that glorious truth and press on. Live by faith. And so why do we get this whole chapter 11? We see this exhortation to persevere in faith. To live by faith, to live believing God. This exhortation that kind of points to the fact that faith is not just some academic knowledge, a, a tick box, or a kind of ticket that we put on the shelf. Yes, I believe in God and what He has done. It goes up there and it's there in case I need it. But He's there if I need Him. No, there's this sense that faith is lived out. That faith, is, faith is something that transforms our entire life. What God has done becomes what we live for. You see, he could have gone straight on 
from chapter 10, verse 39 to chapter 12, verse 1. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And yet, he takes this whole chapter to look, as we're going to in a minute, at all these different characters in the Old Testament. At all at this, as he then says in chapter 12, verse 1, the bit I missed out, therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, therefore, since there are all these guys in the Old Testament, let's look at it. Let's see. It's a perfect... He, 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 he pauses here and goes... He wants to... He wants to ugh, when you can't find a word. He wants to emphasize. Look. Look, this is what it's all about. Believe God and therefore live it out. Believe God and live it out. And we'll get the opportunity perhaps over future weeks to, to look at the different characters that we see in this chapter to look at what God did in them, to look at what, by faith, they lived out. But actually, I don't want us to miss that actually, this is one long argument, this is one long example. He's made, he's going one after the other, after the other, after the other. Get hold of this, look. So that's what we're going to do today. We're looking at verse 1 and 2, and we're going to kind of work that out. But in doing so, I want us to read the whole chapter and to see, to see all the different characters, to see every time he's saying, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. So, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he didn't experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You see, as we read through chapter 11, we see all these characters, all these stories from the Old Testament, just touched on, just brought in slightly into focus, so familiar to them particularly who would have been hearing it, but also to us, we can recognise all sorts of different stories from from the Old Testament as he goes through. We see all these exploits, all these stories of people standing firm, all the different hardships they faced, all the different miraculous things that happened. But all the way, his focus, by faith. By faith. It's a huge illustration 
of what he's exhorting them to. And as I said, in future weeks, we might look at individual characters and look at something of what he's talking about, of them having faith, about what they did by faith. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, here, if you were here, you would have heard Kieran talking about Daniel. Yes. And if you go online, you'll be able to hear Alistair talking about Gideon and Mark talking about David. All these guys who just end up in this list of Well, Gideon's there, David, and the prophets. And we hear of those who shut the mouths of lions. And we can refer back to the Daniel story there immediately. But all these different people who, by faith, lived out these different things. And we can look at those. But here, right now, as a whole, what do we see? What is he talking about? We can see, I'm going to say we can see three things about faith as we look at verse 1 and 2, but with the context of the whole chapter in mind. Firstly, we see faith described. You see, chapter 11, verse 1, it's a great description of faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. A certainty a sureness of something we don't yet see. Now we can see, something might help us to understand that. I've got a picture that will go up on the screen of something we see very often in everyday life. Traffic lights. There we go. We probably don't see those traffic lights all the time. I don't think they're British traffic lights. Those signs don't look very British. Anyway, but the traffic lights are the same. There's a red light at the top. At some point, an amber light will come on, and then the green light will come on. Now, when we're at a traffic light and the green light comes on, we know what that means. We know what it means. Green means we can go. But implicitly, what does the green light mean? It means that actually the other lights at the junction have gone red. And that the other cars aren't going to go. And so when I go, I'm not going to get hit by other cars going in the other direction because they're stopped at red lights. But normally at a junction, I can't see the red lights that are facing the other cars. But when the light goes green, I'm still sure that their lights will have gone red. But I can't see it. I can't see it. And in a small way, and I know this is only a small way, you see, actually, there, I have a certainty, or with traffic lights, a near certainty, that the other lights have gone red. And actually, when the green light comes on, that does mean, and I can believe it, that it is safe to go. It's safe to go, and the other cars aren't going to come through other green lights. Hang on. What's going on here? Because they're stopped at red lights, even though I can't see the red lights. You see, our writer brings us this description. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, just like we can be, and in fact, in a much greater way than how we can be sure that when my traffic light is green, the others are red. I can be sure in what God says about himself and about what he says about, about me and what he has done. You see, we don't yet see it in full, but we are certain of it. You see, Paul speaks similarly in Romans 8, verse 24, talking about the hope that we have. We're talking about faith. Romans 8, 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? 
But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There's this aspect of faith knowing, actually, I haven't yet seen it all. I haven't yet got it in fullness, but I know that it is coming. I know that God will do it. I know that what God says is true. There's this aspect of of knowing what hasn't yet been seen. But we see, as R.T. Kendall was searching for a definition of faith, as he preached through Hebrews 11, he talked to Martin Lloyd-Jones, who in the end came up with a definition for him, which became the title of the book. Now we can talk about faith as confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see, but even more simply, faith is believing God. Believe in God. Because actually this hope that we don't yet see in fullness is in him. And it's anchored in Jesus. As we read in chapter 6, verse 19. In fact, we may not quite have got to this bit. In chapter 6, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. We believe him. We believe God. We don't yet see in fullness. Jesus has come, but we know he's coming again. Jesus has come, he's won the victory on the cross, but we know he's coming to bring the kingdom in all its fullness. It's not come yet, it's not, incomplete. it's not completely there. We can look around the world like we were talking about uh, in chapter 2. We don't yet see it, but we see Jesus. We can look and say, but it's still all a mess, but we know He's won, and he's coming back. In fact, so much surer than my picture of traffic lights. You know, traffic lights, people make traffic lights. Traffic lights can go wrong. That's not to put fear in anyone. Usually they fail. Actually, the way they normally fail is that they stay red. And then you sit there, and you sit there, and then eventually you think, should I just go through anyway? Anyway, God's so much more secure so much sure, so much more faithful than the traffic lights. That's my point. So we see faith described. It's certainty in what we haven't yet seen. It's, it's a sureness of what we hope for because what we hope for is in him. What we hope for is what he has said. What we hope for is what Jesus has done and will bring to completion. Faith is believing God. And you see, we've already kind of alluded to it. It goes beyond what we currently see. It looks to the future. That's what the writer is talking about. It looks to our eternal hope. The fundamentally, our future is secure. We know the end. The end is God wins. God wins. And he will bring his kingdom in fullness. And you see, that's what he's talking about here. In verse 1, obviously, it's what we have not yet seen. But as he goes on in in verse 13, when he talks about all these uh, these characters from the Old Testament that he's been describing, he then says in verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. 
You see, all these characters from the Old Testament, they were waiting for something. They, were, they saw something from a distance. They, Abraham had received the promise from God, and he knew one day, one day this is coming. One day this is coming. You see, somebody, they were waiting for Jesus and for him to bring the kingdom of God. As he describes it, they were waiting for a country of their own, a heavenly country. You see, the joy and privilege for us is Jesus has come and the kingdom has broken in. And yet, still, we're waiting. We're waiting for that fulfillment, waiting for Jesus to return. Waiting to see the kingdom in all its fullness. Because ultimately, in the end, as he's already encouraged the, uh, the Hebrews in verse 34, as he was talking about how they'd stood in the face of persecution in the past, he said, because you know, you know that you yourselves, well, he says it in the past, because obviously he's referring back to their thing, you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. We know. We know what's coming in the end. The future is a certain hope that we don't yet see. But it's certain. It's so wonderful, so much better than anything this world could offer and anything we could lose in the meantime. And when we consider it, when we consider where we've been brought from, from the place of being dead in sin, when we, when we truly believe God about our sin and about the state we were in, And yet, if we're in Christ now, the position we're in, the position he's brought us into, and the future certain hope that that brings, wow. Therefore, his exhortation rings out, oh, live by faith, believe God, live live in this way. He's He's put it in you. So persevere, keep going. We see faith described, we also see faith commended. Verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. And we've seen and we've read this great list that he pulls out from the Old Testament. We see great exploits. We see great heroes, it seems. We see many different situations. Things that turned out incredibly well. Things that ended with people dying. Things that ended in all sorts of different ways. Different exploits and situations. But what is it that we're seeing? As we read these verses, are we seeing superhuman heroes who did incredible things? People who were held up as amazing because of their talents and skills. Look, Noah built a massive boat. Abraham left everything behind and went. Abraham believed that he could have a child at, at like crazy old age. Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son. But he believed God in that. Wow. What? Is, this, is this all about? Well, look, look how amazing Abraham was. Look how amazing Noah was. Now, actually, what, what we see, yes, to a degree, but what we see is ordinary men and women who believed God. We're not seeing superhuman people who are held up as, uh, look at this man, look at this woman, look how amazing they are. No. Look at him. He believed God. By faith, he did this. By faith, this happened. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, they believed God. 
You see, the author's exhortation to the Hebrews is to persevere, to keep going, to live by faith, to believe the God who has, who has done everything for them, who has brought them into this place. And his point is, he's saying, look, that's exactly how it was for them. That's exactly how it was for them. They were called to believe God, to believe God in the situation they found themselves in. And as we read and we see one after the other, after the other, after the other, the author's crying out to us, don't be intimidated by these heroes of the faith, but be encouraged that we also are called to believe God like they did, to live by faith. And we can look and wonder, because they believe God. In believing God, look what happened. Look what God did. Look what happened when they believed God in that situation. Remembering, what are they commended for? They believe God by faith. And we're called to do the same, to believe him, to believe him by the faith that he's given us. Remember that verse in two, uh, Ephesians 2 verse 8, it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. God's given it us. Let's live it out. Because thirdly, as we've kind of already said, But let's say it explicitly. We see faith in action. All the way through this chapter. By faith. By faith. By faith. By by faith, Abraham left his country. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. This is how they lived their lives. Faith led to action. Yet, as we've seen, it's the faith that they're commended for. It's the fact that they believed God. It's not saying, look, didn't Abraham do well in leaving his country? No, Abraham did well because he believed God. He believed God when he said, I'm going to take you somewhere. You see, this is what's emphasized here. And as James says it pretty bluntly, that faith leads to action. James in chapter, James 2 and verse 14 onwards what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save them suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to them go in peace keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs what good is it in the same way faith by itself if it's not accompanied by action is dead but someone will say you have faith i have deeds show me your faith without deeds and i will show you my faith by my deeds You believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And he goes on. You see, but people have got really hung up on what James has said. They've got hung up on what it says in Hebrews. They've got hung up on it. What's he saying? Is he saying we've got to earn our way in somehow? We've got to, it's not just faith, but we've got to have deeds as well and somehow work our way in. No, he's just describing faith. He's describing true faith. What does it mean? Faith without deeds is dead. If faith doesn't do anything, if it doesn't lead us, if it doesn't change us, if it doesn't bring us into a place of action, whatever that action might be, it's not prescribing the action. But he's saying faith works in us. God is at work in us. That leads to us believing him. You see, I'm going to go back to the, the traffic lights. You see, it would be crazy if I said... I believe what a green light means. I I believe it, I know. 
I know a green light means go and I'm safe to go. It's safe. And yet I'm sat at the green light in fear because I, don't, because I think, well, what if, what if something happens? What if, what if they're not red? But, I, but I'm saying I believe they are. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't make sense. You see, my belief that a green light means go leads me to go. It's safe to go. It's my turn. You see, true faith leads to acting on that declaration. Persevering, pressing through. He doesn't prescribe how that is, what it is. We see in this chapter that by faith, all sorts of things happened. By faith, we cling on to him. By faith, we persevere. By faith, we say, God, I believe you. But it takes it from being this academic exercise. What faith means is that I've got a ticket somewhere. No, faith, faith is our lives. Faith is our lives. Being certain, being sure of God and his word leads to action. When we say, I know my God has the best for me. I know that in him is life in all its fullness. I know that in him my future is secure. I know that he has rescued me from death in sin. So that's going to affect everything in my life. That's going to affect all of my life. I'm going to finish with a story that I know we've heard in a preach not that long ago because I remember responding to it. But the story of Charles Blondin, a tightrope walker, in the 1850s and 60s. I think we've got a picture of him. Yes. I'm held to believe that the picture on that side definitely is Charles Blondin. I don't know whether that one is. Sometimes it comes up as, this is Charles Blondin. Other times it says, this is, this is some tightrope walker. Anyway. In the 1850s and 60s, Charles Blondin decided to tightrope across Niagara Falls. Some of the stories seem incredibly crazy, but they come up a lot of times. Various crazy crossings across Niagara Falls. Everyone thought the first crossing was crazy, that he was just going to walk. But he walked across on this tightrope that he'd somehow strung up with 1850s technology. Then he did it blindfold. Then he did it backwards. Then apparently he took a camera, an 1850s camera. Think about that. Big thing. And took pictures from the middle. Apparently he took a stove with him and cooked an omelette. Sat down and ate it on the rope in the middle. Other stories talk about him taking up cake and champagne from, you know, the, the Made in the Mist boats that travel along at Niagara Falls. Anyway, regardless of the uh, authenticity of all those accounts, apparently one of the accounts was that he did this. He went across with a wheelbarrow. And as the story goes, as he got to the other side and was met by rapturous applause, oh, brilliant, another amazing crossing. He asked them the question, do you believe I could do that again with someone in the wheelbarrow? To which the unanimous response was, yes, of course you can. You can do anything, child Blondin. You're amazing. You, could, you wouldn't fall if, I don't know, think of something crazy that you could, uh, could have with him. But of course that led to his next question. So who wants to get in? 
You believe I can do it. So who wants to get in? Response was somewhat different. No one really wanted to get in. But in that picture, there's a sense of God's calling us to come, on, to come with him, to keep living by faith with him, to trust him. He's a lot greater than Charles Blondin. We might end up in scary situations. We might end up in all sorts of situations. But we have a God who is utterly faithful. Who is utterly faithful. And I believe that God would say to us today, do you believe me? I guess we were kind of saying in the worship time, as Ben led us in talking about that song, do we believe it? It's his work. He's at work in us. And yet he calls us to come on the journey with him. And because we have a sure and certain hope, like these Hebrews, like these heroes of the faith, and because with the Hebrews we share the joy that Jesus has come and Jesus has won the victory. We see the Saviour, we see the promised one, and we know that we have a hope, a promise, an eternity that is utterly certain. We have a God, a Father, who is utterly faithful. Let's live by faith. Let's believe him in everything. Let's believe him. Let's go on believing him. Let's believe what he says about himself. Let's believe what he says about us. Let's believe what he calls, if he calls us to do something, he is going to see it through. And in that sense, let's get in the wheelbarrow. Let's go with God, because he is the one who is faithful. Amen. Let's pray.